Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. So today I get to finish our series called Not Power, Not Popular, But Powerful, uh, looking at the book of Kings. And as I was thinking about this, I just wanted to recap what the theme of this book is. Because it's a history book. And sometimes when you read history books, you get a little stuck in the, the history a little bit, you know, drones on and on and on. Uh, so let's, let's look at this from a big picture perspective for a second. So what it's a history of is of Israel's period of having kings, obviously. You figured that out from the title of the books. Uh, but when they had kings, which was actually a smaller amount of time of their history than you might think um, as people. But what Israel did was they were... Uh, up until that point, completely led by volunteer leaders, by people who God had placed over them as prophets and leaders to lead them. And they said, we're tired of not looking like everybody else. We want the government structure that everybody else around us has. So God, can you let us have a monarchy? Is this allowed? Like, are we allowed to have a king, to have a queen, to do a coronation, to have royal weddings, all the things that we get jealous of for Britain when they have it? You know, like, is this an allowed thing? And they kind of went back and forth and argued with God about it. And finally, God was like, okay, I'll let you have it, but it may not be what you think that it's going to be. And so, they set up this monarchy. They, they started to have kings. In the book of First and Second Kings, give us this history of the failures that followed that decision. Their kings were not particularly good people with a few glimpses and exceptions. They led them to big periods of war and conflict with their neighboring countries. Uh, they had lots of very messy marriages and, and issues with their own family life. Uh, and the biggest thing was that they led them to uh, just huge, widespread, kind of uh, systematized idolatry. They set up these temples all throughout Israel and Judah, worshiping different gods and making that a regular part of the way that they lived which for the people of Israel was like rule number one, you should have no other gods before me. So these kings that were set up that the people wanted so desperately led them in all of these terrible ways. And so God doesn't give up. He says, okay, I'm gonna send prophets who are these really weird dudes who eat weird things and say uncomfortable statements and yet God uses powerfully. And so he sends his prophets to come and to keep speaking truth and to showing his power to the people of Israel. And it's just these stories of kings failing, prophets speaking, Israel just kind of meandering around, not doing too much for hundreds of years. Sounds great, right? Uh, that's what they wanted when they went down this path. Tim Mackey said that although Israel had many kings, they were not the ultimate authority in Israel. God's covenant word was the real authority. And this is why God raised up the prophets to counterbalance the kings. 
So the theme of the book, God with his prophets versus those in power, the kings, and their ways of living. Constant push, pull, push, pull going on in their leadership structure of their country. You know, I was thinking about this theme and I started to kind of just click that I felt like there was kind of a prophetic warning in it for us if we read it right, if we hear it right. Now, I don't know if you realize it or not. I say slightly tongue-in-cheek, but next year is a presidential election year. Woo! That's been super fun the past couple of times. Uh, Not super excited about that, if we're being honest, Uh, because it's been so polarizing, so angry, so just visceral. Like, it, it hasn't brought out the best in us at all. And so looking at another presidential election cycle and reading the book of Kings, I just realized that like there's a prophetic warning for us as followers of Jesus. And here's what it is. I think it's twofold. I think it can be read as a prophetic warning against the temptation to place our hope in a political party or system and a prophetic warning against relying on human structures to bring justice and mercy in the way that only God's kingdom can. Let me say it one more time. These books can be read as a prophetic warning against the temptation to place our hope in a political party or political system and a prophetic warning against relying on human structures to bring justice and mercy in the way that only God's kingdom can. You know, there is no human system that can ever live up to the justice and grace and mercy of the kingdom of God. No matter how much we try, it can't. Because human systems are led by humans. God's kingdom is led by God. And God's desire for us is for us to be actually led by him. Not for us to invite him to lead the things that we've already started doing. You know, humans have a big tendency, and we've done it for thousands of years at this point. And this is what we do. We do something, and then we go by the motto of, like, just do it, and then ask for permission or apologize later. Like, well, I don't want to sit around and wait for God to do something, so I'm just going to start a couple miles down the road. I'll ask God where he wants me to go at that point. That's how we've always done things. We want to just do it and not wait for God to lead. God's approach, God's ideal for us is for us to wait for him to actually lead. That's what he wants for us. And the book of Kings is one story after another of the Israelites not doing that and it failing and falling apart terribly. But following God wholly is a couple of things. It's risky. It is out of our control, which makes me nervous. It is based on complete and total trust. It means living our lives 100% according to the ideals of God's kingdom, not our ideals and our preferences. 
That's harder, right? That's much harder. And so this book, I think it gives us a first step, though, to wake us up and to say, okay, can I just start the process of actually submitting to God to let him lead me? Can I today pause and say, okay, I'll stop just doing and then ask for guidance later. Can I say, okay, God, how do you want to lead me? That's what the book of Kings can give us if we're willing to hear it as we read these stories. So can I, like, hit the brakes on the train and switch rails real fast? Okay, well, not too fast, but I'm going to switch rails completely. I think that's the invitation from this series. Today, what I want to do, I have never done in a church service before. Does that scare you? (laughs) Sarah's like, no, this is good. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, If, you know, we're going to try something and hopefully it'll be fun. Mixing it up is good, right? That's, that's a positive thing. Uh, if you trust me, you'll be okay with this. If you don't know me, well, we're already here. So, you know, we might as well go along with it, right? Uh, what I want to do is I want to have a dialogue, an actual like group dialogue on 2 Kings 6. So if you have a Bible, open up there. You will actually want to have it in front of you. Uh, you'll want to look back on it. So open it on your phone, your tablet, grab Bibles in the front, back, in the lobby. Uh, engage with this. You'll want to be aware of what is in these verses. And you should have gotten a handout. If you didn't get a handout or you don't have something to write with, raise your hand and Andrea and Rob will come and bring it to you. So just keep your hands up until you receive it uh, and uh, they, will, they will bring you the stuff. Thanks, guys. So while, while that's happening, keep your hands up. Let me, tell you, let me tell you a story from this past Sunday. Sarah and I were visiting a, uh, with our kids. We were visiting a church, a vineyard church in Ohio. And... Uh, when we were there visiting family. And so we were uh, visiting this church and the pastor asked somebody to come up and to read the, the scripture from, uh, that he was going to preach on. And this guy came up, Latino guy, came up and uh, started reading in Spanish. And about, I don't know, three-fourths of the way through or something like that, he just stopped. And at first I was like, did he lose his spot? But then it was really, it was a long pause. And all of a sudden, all of us in the room became very aware that the pause was not because he was having any issues with the words. It was because he was so overwhelmed with emotion by what it was that he was reading. And it was just kind of a, this beautiful moment of sitting there and just watching as somebody engaged so deeply with God's word that like it, they couldn't keep speaking. And it just reminded me like of the power that there is in God's word. It has power to evoke emotions in us that shock us, that surprise us, that remind us of places we've been, that give us hope for places that we hope that we're going to be. 
It has power to, to grab a hold of us and change us and transform us in the moment as we're hearing it, as we're reading it. And I just want to say, as we get ready to read from God's word, that I hope and I pray that every week when we dig into God's word, that that's what's happening in our hearts. That we're not just going through the motions of it, but we're, that we're allowing the word of God to transform us, to grab a hold of our hearts and to change us in just deeply personal and powerful ways. God's word will do amazing things if we allow it to sink in to our hearts. So as we get ready to read, just allow that to be space. Allow there to be space for that to happen. For God to speak to you in a way that is personal and transformational. So what I'm going to do, you all said that you trusted me, or you said you didn't know me, and so then you're okay with it anyway. Uh, So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read 2 Kings 6, 8 through 23, and then I'm going to pause for a second. And as I'm reading, and when I pause, your handout becomes your number one goal. Write down the answers to the questions on that. Jot down what sticks out to you. Jot down what questions that it brings up. Uh, Jot down what you see about God's character, what you feel like the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. You will want to have thoughts because of what will come after that, okay? So let me pray, and then we're going to read from 2 Kings. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come and to fill us right now. I just ask for your presence to be here even more. I thank you that your word does have power to transform us, to grab a hold of us, to to remind us, to renew us. And I pray that as we read from your word that we will be all of those things. I pray that you will speak personally to each and every one of us this morning and let us know who you are and what it is that you're up to. We just welcome you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, 2 Kings 6, verse 8. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. I'm sure that's exactly what he said. That is a very detailed response. Uh, but immediately, you could write that down. Why does he say such and such? No, but immediately, Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place, for the Armenians are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on alert. And the king of Aram became very upset. And he called his officers together and demanded, Which one of you is the traitor? Who's been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord, my king. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. That's quite a statement. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back, Elisha is at Dotham. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. 
When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him. For there are more on our side than on theirs. And then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. As the Armenian army advanced towards him, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. And then he went out and he told them, You've come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me and I will take you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to the city of Samaria. As soon as they had entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, O Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elisha, My father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? Of course not, Elisha replied. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again to their master. So the king made a great feast for them and then sent them home to their master. And after that, the Armenian raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple minutes. Jot down your thoughts. Uh, what I want to do now is I want to take it another step. So what I want to do now is I want to hear from you what was sticking out to you. So I would love to, especially if you have questions, you're like, this makes no sense. Throw your hands up and I will come to you and give you space to ask. I knew, I knew Peter would do it. Yes. Good job. Thank you. Keep your hand up. That's good. Uh, if you have things that stuck out to you, uh, things that you like really stuck out about God's character, my only rule is that it has to be short. Otherwise, you're preaching and not me and not just, no. Uh, okay, so keep it short. But I would love to hear from like five, six, seven, eight, whoever. Throw your hand up and keep it up and I'll, I'll come to you and you can share what it is that stuck out to you. So Peter, what stuck out to you? Did only the servant and Elisha see the horses and chariots of fire? Boom, good question. The only ones. Write that down for me, Sarah. Perfect. Who else? Hey, Terry. Um, you started out by saying how we should not, uh, we should be led by God. We shouldn't dictate what he wants us to do and then work it out later. But Elijah, it seems, and other people disagree, was making God's <laughs> steps and said, okay, God, do this. Okay, now do that. Yep. And that kind of contradicts what yep. you were saying. I so agreed is, with you, by the way. Is Elisha dictating yeah. or is he following? Yes. Which other people sitting around you disagreed with? <laughs> oh, your husband. Okay, I see. <laughs> He's just being contrarian, right? <laughs> Who else? Who else has questions, ideas? What's sticking out to you? I know you do, Herman, so you better get ready. So I was just thinking, doesn't God usually ask questions before he tells and speaks and make people go blind? When that, when that passage set, hit me, 
doesn't God usually ask questions to make to people before they go blind? Okay, so the blindness. Yeah. What what's that all about? That, 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 that like he gave them no warning. Yeah, he just did it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Who else? Just your hand up so I can. Yeah. I had I had the notion of God leading you to places that you don't expect to go, you know, because sometimes sometimes they're going to try to kill the king of Israel, but then God blinds you and sends you to Samaria instead, because that's where he needs you to be. Right. And it, you know it can be scary and confusing at first, but God has a plan. That's good. That's good. So you put yourself in the place of the uh, the raiders. I like that. That's good, because that's real, right, guys? We are more often in that spot than we are opposite. Okay, there we go. Now we got some hands. Oh, keep your hands up so I, I don't forget. No, Denise, I saw, I saw a hand here too. Um, the idea Ow. being that God's mercy doesn't look like mercy with human eyes at the time, oftentimes. Yes, yeah, God's mercy. Awesome. There we go. Okay, I knew I saw another hand. Would it be right to uh, say that Elisha was, when he was at talking to God about, you know, making them blind, wouldn't it be more like in a prayerful request to him in God? It was pleasing to him, and so he would answer that prayer. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That's good. Yep. You. So you're, you're, you're talking to Terry right behind you. Right? To what she was saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. That's good. Okay, I know I saw somebody else, but then a hand disappeared. Michael. Okay. Oh. Oh, okay. You're, you're just making up stuff right now. Yeah, yeah. Has God sent warnings that we need to take heed to? That's good. That's good. Okay, I got three more, and I see you. One, two, three. I, I also, the, the ending seems um, a little different. <laughs> <laughs> you, you wouldn't expect your um, enemies to be fed and taken mm-hmm. care of, and then sent safely away. Yeah, and they're actually coming to, yeah, literally destroy you initially. Right. So that that was a, that was a huge surprise actually. Yep. Yeah. Because normally. But, in the Bible, the Old Testament is always exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. You and Denise, yes, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Um, what I, what sticks out for me is what always sticks out for me is that God is a multitasker. Mm. That He um, when to accomplish His sovereign will, there's um, no one He leaves out in an opportunity to turn their hearts towards Him and towards His ways. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. Okay, Sarah, it's better. You, you, you're the last one. You're going to like, okay, Flavia, I'll come to you too. I won't make... Then Flavia, you're the last one. <laughs> um, I, I think I, what stands out to me now is, um, you know, the, the armies of Aram are in this position to be utterly defeated. Should we kill them? Should we kill them? And uh, that Elisha says, of course not. Um, seems like there's an invitation to a renewal, like a return to God's ways mm-hmm. in distinction from 
other norms of warfare mm -hmm. in that time. And so, like, the, the opportunity for Israel to be distinct again yeah. rather than to continue to be more and more like their neighbors. That's I think good. that's what That's good. Yeah. yeah. That, that was pretty good, Sarah. Good job. <laughs> okay, Flavia. Okay. So the idea that stick out for me, it's also about the servant Elijah. See, um, when they saw the horse, what got my attention, it's Elijah need to ask the Lord to open up the eye for his servant. So sometimes we also have to ask Lord to open up the eyes of the person who might be next to us. Mm. That's really good. Good job. That was good. Uh, everybody give, give a hand to everybody who shared. This is awesome. Uh, thanks for trying something different. So the reason I wanted to Sarah to write it is to see kind of what sticks out a little bit. And I, I think we all saw themes, right? The, the response at the end is a pretty big theme. Uh, Elisha and God, his kind of conversation uh, is a pretty big theme of what stuck out um, to people. And, uh, you know, two things. Uh, nobody asked actually about the blindness. I'm kind of surprised. Did anybody want to ask if they literally went blind or not, but you weren't sure if you could? No? Everybody thinks that they literally went blind and then hundreds of people were led across uh, a large swath of miles to another city. When I say it that way, do you question maybe whether or not they literally went blind? Um, God could do incredible things. Uh, perhaps that's what happened. Most theologians think that it was like a mental, like, complete mental fog that they just didn't know really what was going on. They were just completely loopy and out of it. And so they followed him dumbly uh, to where he was leading them to. But that was uh, like, okay, you guys have more faith. I questioned that one. So, hey, good job, guys. Um, thank you, Sarah. Perfect. Um, you know, I think the horse and the chariots, I think Elisha saw it. And I'm going to, you know, if you could throw up Stephen, the equation. There we go. So I think Elisha is a man of great faith, which means he has confidence in God's ability and kindness. And so when he looked out, instead of being immediately afraid, he looked out with faith, expecting God to be there. And so he wasn't looking out saying, oh no, I'm going to die. He was looking out saying, God's got this. I, I know that he'll show up again. And so he looked out with different eyes. And so when he prayed for his servant, I think that's why he was able to pray that prayer for his servant, because he was already there. That's something for us to ask for. Like, God, can we have that sort of faith, that sort of confidence? Um, with uh, the, the directives... You know, I do think that there is, if we think of like what I was saying at the beginning, like Terry said, if you think about Moses and others, Samuel, who were leading in the way that God was happy with, 
They gave a lot of directives, but it's because they were so connected to God. They put in the time. They prayed. They were, you know, like Moses went away for days and days and days on end to go pray, and then he gave a directive. Elisha, we're told over and over how many times that he prays. And then he goes and does stuff. So I think there's something deeply connected to our willingness to be on our knees, to be communicating with God. And when we're in that place, the prayers that we pray are most likely going to be what God already wants anyway. But we have to get ourselves to that place like a lot of these folks, I think, were. Um, Let's talk about mercy as we kind of start to wrap it up. Mercy. You know, God's power plus our faith plus radical mercy equals total victory. Somebody, I forget, uh, it was Michael, said, I expected them to all get killed, right? Basically. That's a good, that's a good expectation. If you read the Old Testament, that's, that would be a reasonable expectation, right? But the only thing needed in this story to secure victory was radical mercy, not total annihilation. Radical mercy. You know, when we hear Jesus say that we need to love God and we need to love our neighbors, we often think, okay, that makes sense, right? That's logical. We love everybody. That's good. When we hear Jesus say we need to love our enemies, and then we read the Old Testament, does anybody ever throw up a question flag when you're doing that? And you're like, wait a second. This doesn't make sense. Did God change his mind around 30 AD? Like, did he all of a sudden start thinking that enemies weren't worth murdering? Like, is that what happened? One of the things that I'm super grateful for in the Old Testament is stories like this, which are blaring examples that God didn't change his mind, that he has always been the type of God who gives mercy and grace to people that don't deserve it, people that don't expect it to our enemies. We're the ones who change our minds, not God. And at its core, this story, I think, is a story about loving our enemies. That's what it's getting into here. It's a story of radical mercy because you and I know that humanity wants a system of retaliation. What happened after September 11th? And I'm not saying what they did is good. Somebody hit us. What did we want to do? hit them harder. That's the way that our human structures work. We want power. We vote power. God is different. And it rubs. And it doesn't fit together nicely. Because human structures can never fit within the kingdom of God completely because they're led by faulty folks humanity wants retaliation god wants mercy and mercy though it's not weak it's not short-sighted it's not pointless do you remember how it ends what the last line is 
After that, the raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. It was a complete and total victory because they threw a party for people who were coming to try and kill them. Total victory because of a party. You know, I was thinking there's a song that we sing sometimes called Surrounded. And in it, it says that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It said uh, in it that uh, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I know that I'm surrounded by you. That's what that, that song is, is referencing. It's referencing this story. When we look at what it is that's around us and we see it with our own eyes, we might be missing the bigger picture of what God is actually up to. And if our first step is to go for retaliation, to go for a power move, and instead of reacting and responding in the way that Jesus wants us to, we might miss where it is that he's at. I love what Brian Zond wrote. He said, Jesus doesn't bless revenge. He blesses mercy and teaches that the mercy we show to our enemies will be shown to us. God does not allow us to hope that the book of divine vengeance will be closed for us, but left open and inflicted in full upon others. Certainly there is divine judgment, but it's a judgment based on God's love and commitment to restoration. We are all outsiders in need of God's mercy. I love that James put himself in the place of the raiders. Because when it comes to the kingdom of God, that's where we start. We're outsiders. We deserve no better. But Jesus, he gives us so much more. Worship team, come on up. You know, this morning, I hope that you're filled with hope in who God is. I hope that you're reminded of the reality of who God is and of the way that he moves, that he's generous and that he's kind, that he prepares tables before us, us people, not just in the presence of our enemies, but us humans who are at odds with him. And then he welcomes us in and he calls us his children. I hope that you're reminded of the goodness of God, of his power and his patience and the way that he doesn't do things the way we would and that we are the better for it. Amen? Amen. Friends, this morning, don't place your hope in frail, faulty systems of empty justice or retaliation or hoped-for ideals. Place your hope in Jesus. Mm -hmm.